John 9 is where we are. It's where we're going to be for the next six weeks. Those of us who choose to make this journey, we're going to make it together. My desire is that as we move into the new year, by the time that we're a month and a half into it, that we have spent our time with this magnificent chapter. The reason it's such a wonderful chapter is because it tells us the story, and it's not a, a story like a parable made up to illustrate a point. It tells us about a real account of a man whose paths crossed with Jesus in a remarkable way. And John 9 is amazing because... It gives us a below-the-surface picture of this individual that we, we call because we don't know his name, so he's known as the man born blind. And yet this, almost this entire chapter of John 9 is devoted to this man's story and his interaction with Jesus, the amazing miracle that set it all in motion, and what ends up ensuing after that, uh, this emerging of a man into faith, it's going to be a story of growth and uh, enlightenment and new ways of seeing. So it's, it's something we're going to do together, I hope and believe. But like I said, the blind man, he's an amazing guy. Um, he's, he's a colorful figure. We wouldn't have expected it when we start out the chapter. His personality, his wit, his charm, uh, his honesty, his forthrightness, but most of all, his loyalty and his courage that shows up when pressure is applied and he's being intimidated to renounce Jesus, to at the very least disassociate himself with him. And despite the great pressure that is being applied with a, with a significant amount of threat that was legitimate, he refuses to buckle. It, there's, a, there's a kind of stubbornness about him that, that seems to grow. The harder the pressure is applied, the stronger his faith becomes. So we're going to look at that story. We're going to sit with it. We're going to think about how that, how that can instruct us in our own walk with God. But I want to start here and just read the first four verses of, of the passage. And that's all we're going to... We're not going to go too far into it, but this is where I would like to begin. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. It's hard to miss the nuance of that. Well, actually, we can miss it, but I, do you, do you see it? He saw a man born blind from birth. There's something about the juxtaposition of his seeing a man who could not see. You know, uh, there's a, in the column on the handout, I put a quotation, um, a little commentary from a poet commentator who I greatly admire named G. Campbell Morgan. And he said this, and this is just to sort of create the palette. He says, the arresting central fact then is that here is a man sitting as a beggar seeking alms. He's a, he's a beggar at the gate, the gate of the temple. Moreover, he was a man, we're told, who was born blind. He was blind from his birth. We'll see that. It'll come out in the story. A man who had never looked his, into his mother's face. He had never seen the face of nature. He had never beheld the temple courts. He may have been strangely familiar with them by touch, as no doubt he had found his way through the streets of Jerusalem on num numerous occasions and had exactly a spot that he placed himself. But he never saw it. It says... He may have been strangely familiar with them by touch, that marvelous new sense that ever comes to people who are deprived of sight. Nevertheless, as we have said, he had never seen the lake. He had never seen a beautiful ocean. 
He had never seen the hills. He had never seen the flowers, which is, as Jesus said, a flower, even though we pass them by all the time, is of singular beauty. Jesus said, Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these, I tell you this. The greatest of kings in all their majesty are not really as beautiful as the simple beauty of a flower made by God. Anyway, he had never seen those things. And he was a human being, apparently and almost certainly, Morgan suggests, in possession of all his other powers, yet he lacked this supreme gift of sight. So back to verse 1. Jesus passed by and he saw a man who was blind from birth. That is, he saw a man who could not see a ray of light and had never seen a ray of light. And Jesus may have passed by this man many times. He may have been, as it would seem, and it was, as you'll see in the story, he was very familiar. People knew him. He, for this, some reason, on this occasion, and I have to believe it was the timing of the Father's word to Jesus, but on this occasion, it says that Jesus was passing by, but this time was different because he paused somewhere. I don't know if, if he was being asked directly something or if there was a crowd of people around the beggar and he was begging away like he did, and people knew him. I don't know if Jesus was from a distance looking at that and watching it. We aren't given the picture, but what we know is this. We know that Jesus stopped, and he looked at him. The, the word for look here, saw, is, the, is from the original word, ido, ido. It, it means fixed their, his eyes. It, it has to do with focusing on something. In other words, there's a way of seeing that we kind of scan something, I don't really see it. It's not registering, but there's a way of seeing something that we actually, we look at it. And we, we, we consider it. And Jesus fixed his eyes on this man. And the reason we know that is because it says the disciples caught that. And, and they say, they start engaging Jesus in a conversation because obviously they're noticing that he's looking at this man. And so they themselves have a question about this man. And as they look at Jesus looking at this man, he's not saying anything, he's looking at the man. And they look probably at one another and Jesus is looking at him and they're looking at him and they're looking at Jesus and they say to him, they say... Uh, rabbi, teacher, which was a term they sometimes used. Who sinned? Did this man sin? Or was the sin his parents' sin or his family's sin? And their very question, by the way, reveals their... The way they frame their question reveals their presuppositions, doesn't it? I mean, in their mind, a person... They wanted to know, how did he get this way? Why is he like this? And so in their mind, operating out of, the, out of their frame of reference, they say, because they understood everything to, have a, to be a result of a consequence of some kind of judgment. Surely this didn't just happen. And so they, in their mind, they say, is it because of some, something he did in some, you know, in, in perhaps in their mind, in some, you know, pre-birth soulish state, perhaps in his womb, there was some different thoughts going around in that period of time. Others said, well, no, it's connected to the family history. And there is some truth, by the way, that there are consequences to certain actions. There's no question about that. We know that. We know that some things are a direct result of things that, that, that are, are done. And it's clear that there is a connection there. Some things are a consequences of things we engage in. We get that. Others are a result of, and I've talked to people a lot about this, that their family history you know, a lot of us, there are things that come out of us that were passed down to us. It's not an excuse. 
But sometimes those things are like family sins, family, almost like a family curse passed down generationally. generationally. But just like a blessing can be passed down generationally. Brokenness gets passed down. And dysfunction gets passed down. And by the way, for a lot of us, the work of God shows up, that's going to really show up, is going to break the cycle of what is being passed down. That the baton that's been passed down from generation to generation ends here as God does a new thing. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen without some struggle. But God is the God of new beginning. He's Genesis. He's new start, fresh awakening. The Lord starts new things. And one of the things the Lord does in our lives is he has, that I find personally, one of the great gifts of God is that he gives us the capacity to break things that are passed down to us that we know we don't want to send back down. We want to send blessing. And and in a way, the disciples, they also had their finger on something. Because in a way, all sickness, all malady, all disease, all death, according to Jesus, according to the scriptures, are connected to the ultimate brokenness of the human humanity. That it goes all the way back to, to sin and the fallenness of our broken world. And that so many things that go wrong with it are connected to the fact that God sent his only son to fix it. That's why God sent his son. And that's the whole idea behind John 3, 16 and 17, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It already has death around it, but that the world through him might live, be saved. But the fact of the matter is, the way they frame the question to Jesus, they see him looking at him, they say, who sinned? How did this happen? Why him? And Jesus says, neither. You're on the wrong trail. But then look at, look at verse 3. Jesus answers, he says, neither this man nor his parents. Notice. No, I tell you that the purpose here is far different than what you can imagine. He says, I don't, it's almost like he says, so it's rather he says it's for the purposes of God to be revealed. Basically, you know, if you, if you look at this, when Jesus makes this point, what he's basically saying is, neither, when he says neither, he's refusing to pursue their theological question. It's almost like he's pushing it aside and he's rolling up his sleeves and and he says essentially, what this is right now is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the goodness of God to be revealed. He's not focused on the explanation, but on the solution. There were other times where he was very focused on explanation. But in this case, it was as if he said, look, the condition is obvious as to its cause. That is not my present concern. My present concern is its cure. And he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. While the opportunity is present, I will work the works of him who sent me. He says, for the night is coming when no man can work. That's verse 4. And basically, we're going to talk about what that means a little bit next week. But, ba- but part of what he's getting at is there is a time to respond to God. And everything depends on our response in that moment. Now, it has been said that man's extremity is God's opportunity. And so I have some questions to submit in the time that we have left that I would like us to consider as we move into the new year. And the first one is around that thought. What is or is there an, an, ex, an adversity or an extremity 
that in our life that is God's opportunity. As we think about this, can you hear me when I say that our, our loss, our past, our pain, our struggle, our um, shame, our blunders, our disability. I found myself thinking about that word, disability, because the, the, the account is about a man with a disability. He can't see, but we all have disabilities. We all have ability that we, 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 we know we, I should say, we all have something we know we need that we can't do on our own, where we need God to show up. I was reminding myself of something, and I was saying, Lord, I need your strength to do this. I don't have the ability in my own. That's why I said times like these can be wonderful opportunities for growing because it drives us to God. Sometimes we, we need to remind ourselves that when we are least in control, we are most open to God's amazing movement in our lives. And I'll tell you something. If anything Jesus taught us is that God cares deeply about us and about the story of our life. And it's, I know this. He will not, Jesus said, I will, I will not quench the smoking flax. I will not cast aside the little fire. I'll fan it back into flame. If there's a spark of faith in us, God will blow it into a, into a new life of fire. He says, the broken reed, I won't toss it aside and say it's worthless. He restores it. He keeps it. He holds it. He restores the broken. I mean, you think about that. The, he doesn't, he'll embrace the returning prodigal. Some of us, we, we're coming home. We need to come home. We need to pursue the Lord afresh. We need to quit playing around. The, world, the far country has nothing to offer us. At the end of the day, sadness and tears, despair. It has nothing the way of the Lord is the way of life. Don't run away from God. Run to Him. This is our year. This is our year for coming back to the Lord. For many, for many of us, our story is going to have a new chapter. Listen, I, I say that not just by faith, but I, I believe it. I believe it with my heart that we have an opportunity, that our adversity is God's opportunity, that our need is His opportunity to show up in an amazing way. Secondly, closely connected to that, is are we stuck in our diagnosis? And you say, what are you talking about? I'm saying is that the disciples wanted to debate the issue. They wanted to get into the whys. They were interested in trying to figure out why did this happen? You know, was it this or that? And they reasoned. Jesus went to work while the disciples were reasoning. Sometimes we get stuck debating the cause and we miss the opportunity that is before us to actually do something. And I'm not suggesting that there's never a time to debate something, there's never a time to analyze something, there's never a time to think about something, there's never a time to seek an explanation. I'm not throwing out, by the way, good theology. I'm not talking about you know, anything less than biblical integrity or soundness of doctrine, and that'll mean more to some people than others. But what I am saying is this, there's a time where simply believing the right things is not enough. It's not enough. It's got to show up. We can debate till no end about what is right. And if we're not living it out, it's not going to work. 
Look, I put this in your handout. This is from uh, a man I greatly admire, Eugene Peterson, who's a great thinker. And he said this, living is, the, look at, now look at, this is simple, but it, this is one of those times where the phrase simple but profound actually really does apply. And living is the thing, not knowing. I want, I want us to think about, just because you know something doesn't necessarily mean you live it. Stop right there. Just because we know something doesn't necessarily mean we're going to live it. God cares about how we're living. He cares about how it's showing up. He cares about the quality of our life in a different way than it's defined. He cares about these things. It matters to the Lord how we live and how we love and how we think about the effect of our lives on other people. It matters to God if we're challenging ourselves to grow, to get past things, to be open to new things that he wants to do. It matters to God that we are actually trying to take our faith and let it show up in the everydayness of our life where it will be tested out and revealed to be real or just something we believe. And I, I say it, to believe all the right things and never have it show up has been the bane of Christianity. The Lord cares not just about what we believe, but that is important. Why? Look at the backside of this statement. He says this, of course, if you don't know the right thing, then you know what happens? You end up living out the wrong thing. So it's not like you can really separate the two, Peterson says. That is a great truth. Some people say, well, I'm just inter interested in living. Yeah, but what are we living? Because if we do not invest ourselves in knowing what right living looks like in the eyes of God, and that's why there is no substitute for a personal acquisition of a knowledge of who God is and a, and a serious embarkment on a pursuit of, of expansion of our understanding of the scriptures, getting around people, looking at the Bible, getting around people who love to read and talk about things of the Lord, challenging ourselves, look, it plunging interior, into the interior we live in a culture that is very concerned with the outward person. It's an exterior-driven world that we live in. That's why people get famous most of the time. But it's the interior that God says is the ultimate issue. Out of the heart, he says, is the key place. He says, this is the place where, where things really show up. He says, if you have your, pay attention to the heart. Pay attention to our soul. Pay attention to what diet, what our diet is, what's, what we're feeding ourselves with. It's, 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 it's huge. It makes a big difference how we apply ourselves. This is a good time. I'm going to contend for it. I'm going, to, I'm going to appeal to you in the Lord's name. Let us all determine in our heart to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who the Lord is because right living starts by understanding. If we don't understand, we'll never know what right living is. And there's a lot of debate about what is right. But, we, but the Bible, God has given us a love letter and a map. And, and he says, he invites us to know him in his word. And there is great wisdom in making it a, a, a discipline. Okay, you say, well, boy, I, that's what a disciple is. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of the Lord. But it's really a disciplined one. I was talking to somebody about management and leadership. And we were talking, I, I know I got, just I want to say this fairly rapidly. I don't want to go too far off. But we were having a good conversation. And I said to him, I said, you know, I think, you, I think the Lord 
have put you in this place to make a difference in these people's lives. And I want to encourage you to think of yourself as a shepherd, as a pastor, even though you would never say that. But I think you are supposed to mediate the grace of Jesus Christ into this environment because people seem to be really open right now. And they're even willing to let you pray. I said, take this. I said, and by the way, remember this. We can never lead anyone where we ourselves are not going. And any, anybody who's ever been in a position of leadership and genuine management where we have a desire to see people grow, we understand this, that the first level of management is always self-management. If I do not manage myself, I will not be able to ultimately manage others effectively. I certainly will not be able to lead them. That is why God cares deeply about our spiritual growth. And I pray, and, 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 this, is, and this leads perfectly into the last question, what is the work that God, listen, I didn't say has for us to do. I said, what is the work that he wants to do in us? Think about this. This year, this drives us back inside. What is God trying to, what does he want to get out of there? What is the wound in there that needs to be stitched up and healed and disinfected? What needs to be reacquired that's been lost? How do we do it? Think about it. Pray about it. You know what? I was looking at this and I was going, wow, Lord, you know what? You know everything. The blind man, think about this. Well, the blind man who begged for a living had no idea of the blessing that awaited him. He could not have known in any way, shape, or form how amazingly transformative that next minute was going to be. Everything in his life was going to change. And he had no idea. He started that day like any other day. But it was not any, just any day. And I'm going to suggest this may not just be any year. Even though this year looks like it may have stormy weather, I think the sun is ready to shine in a way that it hasn't shined for a long time. If we are willing, God is willing. And there are fresh places he wants to take us this year. This is a great time to draw close to God. He had no idea. He, he, you know what? Maybe this is going to be a transformative year for you and me. Maybe this will be the year where we experience radical and profound breakthrough, where there are new ways of seeing and understanding the provision of God and the goodness of God. I really can't say, but perhaps healing will flow into our lives like a gift from heaven. And we will break through into fresh paths. And finally, our paths will be behind us. And the wounds will start to heal. And we'll start to grow. New ways of seeing. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in our lives. I do. I ask you, Lord, to keep working in all of our lives. Help us, Lord, to pay attention to the inside. Help us to think about what we're reading and not just read anything, Lord. Think about feeding ourselves the words of life. Think about getting around people who are going to provoke us to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, to learn how to follow you better, how to listen for you better, Lord, to take seriously what it means to be a growing person with God. I pray, Lord, that you'll begin to weed out those in invasive things that have corrupted us, Lord, and I pray instead that you would replace that with new life. I pray, God, that you would stir our heart to want to surrender to the miracles that you want to do in our lives. I do. I pray that you will give us new vision, Lord. I pray that you will give us a vision that is, is fresh 
and vital. I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would keep working in us, Lord, and do wonderful things. I pray for your blessing and your grace. And I ask you, Lord, that as we close the service out with this very simple song of surrender, really it's what it is. It's like, Lord, it's saying, I'm open to you. I just ask that you would let this be a closing prayer. And I pray that you would bless our time of giving. And I pray especially, Lord, as well as, as we move into that, that many of us who have determined to honor you in serious ways in, in all areas of our lives, that we would not draw back just because we're afraid, but we would continue to live as people who walk in covenant with you, especially in relation to our resources. I really feel, Lord, that we have a chance to show what we really believe. And so we will trust in you, and we will honor you. So bless these closing minutes. Bless our time of giving. Bless this song. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, God, and amen.